Welcome to Find Your Niche, a career podcast offering advice that you can implement today, as well as career tips that will set you on a career path and help you to find your niche. I'm Lori Cole, certified career coach and job search advisor with iHire. iHire connects you to industry-specific jobs in over 57 talent communities. Find your niche today on iHire. Are you ready for a career transformation? Well, I'm going to give you a step-by-step process for discovering your magnetic north and achieving your career goals. I'm also talking to Todd Yaus, a senior recruitment and talent acquisition specialist. Todd will give us insider information and the information you need to know when working with a recruiter. If you've been looking for ways to become more fulfilled and happier in your career, then stick around. Here are the latest trends, topics, and tips that will help you in your job search. Have you ever wondered what it would be like to wake up every morning feeling truly excited about going to work, to have a career that pays the bills and fulfills you at a deeper level? Well, you're not alone. Many people find themselves in jobs that leave them feeling uninspired and disconnected from their true passions. Today, I'm going to guide you through a step-by-step process to help you find your magnetic north and align your passions with your career. In this case, magnetic north refers to your true calling or your purpose in life. I've got some purpose in life. It's the direction that aligns with your passions, your values, and your aspirations. Your magnetic north is where your career aligns with your authentic self, just like a compass's needle points towards Earth's magnetic north. The first step in this journey is self-reflection. Take the time to explore your passions, interests, and values. Ask yourself what truly excites you. What activities make you lose track of time? Also reflect on what you deeply care about. Consider your strengths and skills, as well as the impact you want to make in the world. Gaining clarity and finding your magnetic north will come from this introspection better understand your passions and interests, it's time to dive into research and explore your options. Look at all of the different industries, job roles, or career paths that align with your passions. Get some experience and exposure in those areas and find people on LinkedIn who are already working in those fields and learn from them. See if you can find industry conferences, workshops, or webinars, and expand your knowledge about the industry. As you immerse yourself in your interests, your path will become clearer. Let's see where this path leads. You have to try new things and learn new skills to find your magnetic north. Don't be afraid to step out of your comfort zone and explore some new opportunities. Consider internships, maybe part-time jobs, or volunteering in fields that are related to things that you're really passionate about. Getting hands-on experience will help you build your skills and also help you to decide if that particular career path is right for you. Remember that finding your magnetic north is a journey and experimentation is necessary. It's all part of the process. Now that you have a clearer direction, it's time to set some SMART goals. Those are specific, measurable, achievable, relevant, and time-bound goals. And those are essential for progress and motivation. Break down your larger career aspirations into smaller, more actionable steps. 
set deadlines and milestones, and make sure you're tracking your progress along the way. SMART goals will also help you to stay focused and accountable and motivated as you work towards aligning your passions with your career. Don't underestimate the power of guidance and mentorship. Look for people who have already found their magnetic north and who are experts in the field you want to get into. Reach out to them, ask for advice, and learn from their experiences. Mentors can also really help shortcut the process. They can help you avoid common pitfalls and open doors to opportunities you might not have otherwise found. When you align your passions with your career, you have the opportunity to make a meaningful impact on the world around you. Your work becomes a vehicle for positive change, whether it's improving lives, contributing to a cause you care about, or creating something that inspires others. This sense of purpose and impact gives your career a deeper sense of meaning and leaves a lasting legacy. Excited for you to meet Todd Yaus today. Todd is a highly experienced senior recruitment and talent acquisition leader, and he has over 20 years of experience in recruiting. He currently serves as the director of talent acquisition at Kaba Fusion, and they are the world's largest privately held home infusion company in the U.S., Todd specializes in talent acquisition, sourcing of candidates, process improvement, employment branding, and recruitment marketing. He is known for building high-performing teams, leading strategic initiatives, and implementing effective workforce planning programs. Let's hear from today's featured guests who has found their niche. Well, Todd, thank you so much for joining us on the Find Your Niche podcast today. I'm really excited to talk to you. Me as well. I'm excited to be here. Tell me how you got to the point where you are now a recruiter and a talent acquisition person. Yeah. So, so probably date me a little bit, but uh, I replied to a posting on Craigslist. Oh, wow. Uh, it tells you how old, long ago that was. Small little boutique recruiting firm in Portland, Oregon. Uh, very niche type of stuff, which I'm still doing today. Didn't know really anything about recruiting. Uh, most of my background had been in sales and got in, you know, the owners took me under their wing, sort of learned the business. Uh, a lot of it, I just learned for myself and here I am. I mean, it was just, uh, you know, one of those things where it just stuck, you know, it wasn't necessarily a career path that I had chosen for myself. Uh, but once I got into it, it rolled, you know, my love of talking to people, it, it you know rolled the sales aspect of things I like to do, it, you know just all into one, um, and I've just been able to thrive at it. You know I tell everybody I've like I found my career you know just by chance by accident you know it wasn't something I went to college and majored in, I just fell into it and turned out it was what I love to do, um, and so I've been doing it ever since. You know for the last fifteen years, I've been in recruiting. What were you doing before that? So before that, uh, a few different things. I think the most recent thing before that is I was actually selling insurance um, to small businesses. So again, very similar, just getting out to talk to people. I think the big difference was everything before this I'd primarily done was face-to-face. This is a lot of phone. 
Um, you don't meet everybody face to face. So that was probably the biggest transition for me was not having that face to face interaction that I'd grown accustomed to. Now it's like, okay, building relationships with people on the phone. Um, now we have video. Uh, 15 years ago, it wasn't the same. It was just picking up the phone and calling people. Um, so a little bit different uh, than it than it can be now. Not than it is now, but than it can be now. So yeah, just that. I worked at 24-Hour Fitness selling memberships as well before that. So just general sales roles. Todd, tell me about what your day-to-day as a recruiter looks like. Walk, walk me through a typical day. Yeah, and my role is a little bit different because I'm also the director of talent acquisition for this company. Uh, so I have a team underneath of me as well. So my day is a little split. But normally, you know, I do a lot of, you know, a lot of recruiting. I mean, on an average week, I have probably 20 to 25 candidate phone calls. Uh, you know, so a lot of screening of candidates that apply to the jobs, uh, setting up those phone calls, doing the screenings, vetting them, making sure they're a good fit for us, uh, submitting them. So putting their bio, I guess you could say together, submitting them to our hiring managers. Uh, but also at the same time, I think I've built a good rapport, uh, with our hiring managers so that a lot of times we just schedule the interviews. Um, so I have a coordinator that I then coordinate those interviews. And so we go right onto their calendars, schedule all the calls. But, you know, writing the bios is a big one, you know, really selling the candidate to the hiring manager um, and nice. selling the company to the candidate, uh, which is where that sales aspect of what I really like to do comes into play. Uh, and then, you know, just follow up, you know, following up, you know, big thing for what I preach and what my team does is. We push the process. Uh, sometimes our hiring managers are not the most expeditious with their feedback or moving to the next steps. So one of the things we do is we really take the time to follow up with the candidate, close them, get the feedback from the hiring manager so that we're, you know, right now it's, it seems like it's a race against time and other companies. Candidates right. have multiple interviews, multiple offers. So we need to get there faster, you know, sometimes the next guy. Uh, is really what it is. So we just don't, we don't allow things to fester. Let's just, it's a yes or a no, let's go um, and move on. So that's really what my day-to-day looks like from a recruiting standpoint. Uh, and then you throw all the meetings and all the other things in there, uh, training with the staff, things like that. But so my, my day is definitely a little more chaotic maybe than a normal recruiter's day, simply because they can focus on recruiting. Unfortunately, I don't get as much time to focus. I piece it all together. You know, but that's usually what the day-to-day looks like. I mean, it's a lot of really screening the candidates for fit. You can get a lot from their resume um, that just says, hey, are you qualified, you know, by looking at the resume. But it's, are you that, the personality, the culture fit that we're looking for at our locations? That's probably the biggest thing we screen for. Well, and I appreciate it when you say that you really try to give the candidates some closure on what's going on. We recently did a study and it said that 38% of candidates who get ghosted during that interview application hiring process will form a a very negative brand impression of that company. Yeah. So it's great that your company is trying to give that follow through. And we sort of set the rule of 48 hours. Uh, So 48 hours after any contact. So we try to get, once you've applied, 
Our goal is to get through your application and at least tell you a yes or no within 48 hours. Uh, after an interview, we want to be able to give you feedback within 48 hours if it's, hey, we're moving forward or we're not. You know, we don't want a week to go by where they're just sitting there. I mean, that's that's my biggest thing is especially if they're really excited about us as a company and we're not moving forward. Uh, you know, I don't yeah. want them to just sit there and be like, okay, what's going on and have that pit in their stomach for a week. Um, so we try right. 48 hours is our rule of thumb. We don't always make it, but we try. That's our that's our golden rule is, hey, 48 hours, we're going to get back to you one way or the other. Uh, even if it's just a maybe, we haven't heard anything. We still want to get back to you and tell you we're just waiting on feedback and we haven't heard anything. Um, because yes, I don't want that branding to be like, well, that company stinks, you know, because they can still leave feedback for you on social media about your interview process. Exactly. Don't want that. No, I want them to have a positive experience. So you talked a little bit earlier about the different types of recruiters there are. I know that when I'm coaching candidates, they may not differentiate the difference between a corporate recruiter or a staffing contract recruiter or a contingency recruiter. So could you kind of walk us through that? And if there are any differences in working with each type of recruiter? Yeah. So, I mean, you really, in my book, you kind of have three and then there's little segments within those three. Um, Obviously, you have the direct hire placement, um, the headhunters, so to say, of the world. You know, there's different levels. There's contingency, there's retained, you know, within that there's contract recruiting. You know, their goal is, is just to get you placed. Um, you know, they take an order from their client and says they want, we want this, 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 and this. Um, and they walk you through the whole process. Uh, it's very much a, a very handheld process um, because they have a vested interest in you getting hired. Um, usually those fees are around 20%. Um, so they can be really nice fees and they have a very vested interest in getting you hired. You know, so those are some different ones there. You know, I mean, obviously retained, a lot of pressure as a recruiter. Um, I've done retained search. You know, usually you're taking a third of the money as soon as you take the job order. So you have a little bit of extra pressure to perform. Whereas with contingency, if you don't feel it, you don't feel it. You know, you can fire the client, just say, hey, I don't have any good candidates. You know, and so that's a big one there. And I would say the big thing with that is, those recruiters are specifically looking for a hit the nail on the head type of candidate. Most companies are not willing to pay a $20,000 fee for a, a maybe candidate. They want to say, hey, you've checked eight of the 10 boxes that we're looking for. So I think a big thing with when you're working with those types of recruiters is really tailoring your resume for the position you're going for. Highlight the skills in your resume after talking, even after talking to that recruiter, ask them, hey, what can I do with my resume to give myself a better chance more or less? What should I highlight? What do I need to do? Knowing that they know the client um, fairly well, they can get, should be able to give you those pointers. Uh, to say, hey, do this, do this. This will make you a little bit more attractive. Highlight this experience. So that'd be a big thing I'd say working with them is, is just understand that they're really looking to hit the nail on the head. Staffing is different. You know, staffing is usually a lot of times, not always, a lot of times more entry level positions. And with staffing, a lot of times they're willing to take more of a risk uh, to say, you know what, we're not committed. We're not paying a big fee. We're paying as we go. 
so we can kick the tires a little bit with a candidate. We can be a little more flexible on that experience. Um, and a lot of times uh, that is really about culture fit. Um, do you fit the brand and the culture of that company? You know, and so I, my big thing with that is let your personality shine is probably the best way to say it. You know, show why somebody would want to give you an opportunity. That's on the staffing side. Corporate's totally different. My job realistically is to protect the company. We have to deal with turnover. We have to deal with retention. So for us, it's almost a combination of both um, to some degree to say, hey, we need to hit the nail on the head as best we can. And we need to hire for culture because if you don't work out, we're replacing you. My team has to replace that person. Right. It creates more work for us. So I would say even in that regard, we're even more selective on the corporate side just because we don't want to make more work for us. And I look at it a little bit different the way my, my approach is. I actually look like our department's a retained search firm. We just have one client, you know, and that's it. And they pay us, but they pay us salaries. Um, but I have 120 hiring managers with one client. And unfortunately, I can't fire any of them. Um, so if like in the other worlds, you can fire your clients here, you can't. So I would say when you're working with the corporate side, it's a little bit of both, you know, really tailor your resume to the positions you're applying for. Uh, because again, a lot of companies we don't hear, I'm a, not a big believer in the AI scoring, but a lot of ATSs have AI scoring systems and it is solely based on the keywords, the number of keywords that you have in your resume match the keywords in the job description. And some recruiting companies, if they don't have a full understanding of what the position is, what their hiring managers are looking for, they solely base whether or not you move forward in the interview process on that AI scoring. So if your resume doesn't score high enough, your resume may never actually get seen by a real person. And you could be spot on perfect for the job and then they'll, they'll never even see you. And you're not talking to anybody like you would with a headhunter. So right. you really have to tailor your resume to what job you are applying for um, to ensure that it gets seen and you have an opportunity to actually get interviewed for the job that you would be perfect for. And you're really driving home the point that we tell people when we're coaching them too, that you have to tailor your resume for every job, whether you know you're going to work with a recruiter, whether you know it's going to go through an applicant tracking system. The key is to connect the dots for that recruiter, I think, and for the applicant tracking system. Make sure you've got all your keywords in there. Make sure that when that recruiter is looking at your resume, because you could look at 100 resumes a day. Is that accurate? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, this weekend alone, I cleaned up our job postings. I looked at almost 800 resumes on Saturday alone. Oh, wow. Over, you know, 105 jobs, you know, so it's not even like I'm just looking at a warehouse coordinator and this, you know, 800 of them. I'm jumping between, you know, a pharmacist, a pharmacy technician, warehouse, admins, you know, so it, it really is. It's like, okay, I'm, I'm just getting through them. Mm -hmm. Got it. Yeah, it's, it makes a difference. You can tell the people who have just a generic resume. And they submit the same generic resume to every job versus the one who actually yes. tailor it a little bit to the position they're actually applying for. And I would imagine that those people that are tailoring it have a little bit better of a chance of getting through both the ATS and that 
that human screening. 800 resumes is a lot. It is a lot. And plus for me, it shows that you actually took the time to look at our job description. Like so many times, especially on some of the, some job boards, we won't go into detail with a click of a button, you can apply to 50 jobs, you know, and it's just that simple. And I'm like, well, I can clearly tell you had, you never even looked at the qualifications of the job because Mm -hmm. you were not, you know, you'll get a Starbucks barista that applies to a registered nurse job. And I'm like, you don't even have a registered nurse license. You clearly just hit the easy, easy apply, easy submit button type stuff. And your resume went out to hundreds of jobs. Tailoring it shows you read the job. Um, Even if you don't have a cover letter, you know, even the intro line that a lot of people have at the top of the resume, specifically addressing why you'd be a good fit for this type of position shows a lot. Um, And those are the things that'll make me move you forward to at least dive a little deeper into your resume. So do you look at those cover letters? Do they go through the applicant tracking system and do you look at them? They do. And sometimes, um, sometimes I look at the resume before the cover letter. A lot of times I see with cover letters, it's more of the, the, why should I choose you cover letter? Not necessarily relatable skills. It's the ones that are trying to, I guess, make a case as to why you should give them a chance, I guess, type cover letter, which I appreciate because I do love people who, this is why you should give me an opportunity, you know, sort of that Rocky story. Uh, if you know what, give me a chance. I'll, I'll, you give me a chance and I'll show you, I will not let you down uh, type thing. I do appreciate that. Can't do that for everybody. Some of our positions are very clinically driven and licensure is licensure. There's no way around it. So I can't do that for everybody. But, you know, I think even as a company, we're one of those companies that will, will give people chances, prove to us why we we give you this opportunity. And we have had a lot of success stories because of that. So I do appreciate those. But a lot of times I'll look at the resume and the position they apply to to even see if it's from a skill, just a background perspective, and if it even makes sense to read the cover letter. So to me, the resume is still more important to me than the cover letter. It's totally optional than all of our job postings. Um, but again, it shows me that you've really gone above and beyond sometimes. Um, especially if you've tailored your cover letter to highlight the way your experience relates to the position as you understand it in the job posting. Again, just gives me that little extra smile on my face to, hey, you you took the time. You know, you took the time to do yeah. this. You're invested in us as a company to say, hey, you know, yeah, I, I did my homework. I did my research. I like that. You know, I like that a lot. What kind of lessons have you learned along the way that have impacted your career? Yeah, one of the biggest things I think I've learned is don't judge a book by its cover. Everybody talks about it, good or bad. You know, I've I've interviewed a lot of people who, if you were to say, hey, is this person going to work out? I'm like, there's no doubt in my mind. You know, these guys are rock stars. Yeah. And then they they flame out after a week, you know, on the job. Um, and then I've had people where I was like, man, this is a long shot who get in and they just thrive. You know, so I think that's probably the biggest thing is getting to know people uh, for who they are, what mm-hmm. drives them, what motivates them. Uh, you know, so that's probably one of the biggest lessons. And then I think professionally, you know, it's just it's forced me to hone my skills, I guess, personally, as 
being organized. Yeah, that's one of the things I preach in this business. Anybody I've ever hired, anybody I've ever coached, mm -hmm. you've got to stay organized in this business. Otherwise, things fall between the cracks. And you never know when you're going to miss that perfect candidate that you just let slip because they weren't organized the right way or you're not efficient in your day to day. Um, and that's translated, I think, over to my personal life, even. You know, I was not a big calendar user before getting into recruiting. And now Outlook is my Bible when it comes to my day to day. Like it's color coordinated, everything that's on my Outlook calendar because I know what I need to get done and, and the time it's going to take to get it done. So, you know, I think that again, that organization is one of the key lessons I took out of this is there's no way around it. You've just got to stay organized so that you can stay on task and be as efficient as possible. And again, I think that's probably the biggest thing I've carried over to my personal life from my professional life is just that efficiency. Um, how can you do things, you know, smarter um, and better and, and not always have to work harder to do it? And not everybody has that. Some people like the grind. Right. And that's probably one of the things why I didn't like staffing as much. Uh, staffing to me was a grind. I, I don't know. I like direct hire when it was from a staffing perspective, just glory of the big fees. You know, it was always put a smile on my face when that check comes in the door for $45,000. I'm like, Ooh, that's, that's kind of nice. I like that check. Um, <laughs> but yeah, but those are probably the biggest things. It's just the, the biggest thing personally that I've carried over is that efficiency aspect of it and just staying on top of things, staying organized. What kind of advice would you give somebody that's just starting out in this talent acquisition field? I would say a big one is figure out what part of that field you like. Like we talked about, there are the different aspects of it and they're different. You know, everything about each one's different, retained to contingent to staffing, you know, to corporate, you know, they're all a little bit different. So either A, talk to somebody, talk to multiple people in the different arenas, what they like about, you know, their job, what they don't like about their job, or talk to somebody that's done all of it like me. And be like, hey, what did you like about each and what didn't you like about each? Because there, there's different aspects to it. Um, and I would say the big thing is, is the other thing, talent acquisition is not for everybody. You know, I think the biggest thing is you really have to like talking to people. Um, and I've hired a few people who throughout their careers, they were like, man, talent acquisition is for me. And then after three to six months, they're like, yeah, talent acquisition really isn't for me. You know, so do your homework, figure out which aspect of talent acquisition may be better suited for you, you know, and it, again, the type of company you're working for, find out if you want to work for a bigger company, a smaller boutique company, you know, I mean, even corporate wise, do you want to work for a publicly traded company? Do you want for a privately held company? There's so, I think that's the biggest thing. There's just so many different aspects of recruiting and talent acquisition. Just do your homework, you know, and if it's not for you, doesn't mean that something else, maybe you start off in contingent recruiting. You're like, yeah, not really my thing, but I like the aspect of what I'm doing. Try looking at retained, you know, search firms. If you're like, man, this isn't for me, maybe staffing is. Don't kick yourself if you find that you're like, it's it's just not for me, and it's your first go around as well. Doesn't mean that talent acquisition isn't for you either. There's lots of different avenues of talent acquisition you can look at. So don't just give up on it because the first one you try isn't really your, you know, your cup of tea. Um, and even within that, right. sometimes you can have recruiting coordinators, you can have talent recruiters, you can be 
recruiting support. There's a lot of other things you can do as well. Find out what you like, you know, find out what you like because you can make a career out of this. And if you're really good at it, you can make a really good career out of it. It's fun. I enjoy it tremendously. Enjoy what I do in this, this industry and I could sell it to anybody. It's just whether or not it's for you, though, is the biggest thing. A lot of the people I talk to have some common misconceptions about working with recruiters. I, I think one of them is that a recruiter will call them and say, hey, I've got this job. I think you might be a good fit for it. Send me your resume. And from that time on, the candidate feels like the recruiter is going to work to place them someplace until they find the exact right fit. And they don't understand that in most cases, it's the company that's paying the fee to the recruiter. So if you're not a good fit, they've got to move on. So mm -hmm. that's a common misconception. But what are some of the other misconceptions that people have about recruiters? I think sometimes they think that they're only working with one client, you know, one job, you know, and that's their focus. You know, I can just say from my experience, uh, when I was an agency recruiter, I mean, I had anywhere between seven to 11 jobs I was trying to fill at any one given time. I'm not focused on the one job that you had applied for. Uh, I'm going to split my day. I got to give my clients equal, I guess, equal, uh, equal time because they're all paying me a fee. But at the same time, for candidates, it's a good thing to say, hey, what's your priority level? You know, does your timeline match my timeline? You know, and have that expectation. Because again, I would always, nine times out of 10, uh, the two things I would base the jobs and how I prioritized them was one, where, where and what am I looking for? Uh, if I'm looking for somebody in the middle of Wyoming, you're probably going to drop a little bit lower on my job list because it's a little tougher search. Um, and then two, just out of sheer, you can call it greed, you call it whatever you want, higher the fee, the more attention you get as a job um, because the fee is better. So when you put those two together, you know, you have to look at that. So I think that's the misconception is, hey, they only have one job, one client. That's all they're working on. Not the case in most situations. They're working a lot of different jobs and you're just one, again, of many candidates. You know, I think that's the other thing sometimes is candidates like, oh, they're only working with me. I might have seven candidates that I'm working with for the same job and you're just one of them. And you may not be the best. And not every recruiter is going to communicate that to you is where you rank in the hierarchy of candidates. And I think you hit the nail on the head. The biggest one is, well, their job is to find me a job. And I'm like, it's not to find you a job. Mm -hmm. is to find the best candidate for their clients. Even in the staffing world, it's the same thing. You know, their their job is not to find you a job. It's not it's not an unemployment agency or an employment agency that's trying to get you placed. Uh, you know, you're not paying them a fee. They work for the company. Uh, you have to understand that that you're just one of several and, you know, that's just what you have to deal with. So, I mean, that's, those are probably the two biggest ones that I've seen. You know, I think if you understand those, then you start to understand, okay, it, sometimes it's on me as a candidate to follow up because that may be the third one is, oh, they're going to follow up with me. You know, they're going to call me. I don't have to call them. Wrong. Um, call them, you know, show your interest, 
you take the initiative to get things moving, not vice versa. Um, because again, things can slip through the cracks and they may completely forget about you for two or three days. Be proactive. Um, you know, make sure you're doing the calling, not just vice versa. When it comes to job applications, everybody wants to make a great first impression. What kind of advice can you give to candidates who are submitting their resume to any company, not just recruiters, but when they're applying for any job, what are some best practices they can do? All right. So first and foremost, don't go crazy with your resume. You get some people who, I don't mind a photo. I don't mind a photo at all. But in today's day and age, you got to be careful of discrimination with a photo. Right. I mean, just in all transparency, good or bad, you know, there could be bias. If you're on LinkedIn and they really want to go social media and, and research you, they will. And they'll get your picture that way. But that would be one of the big things. Don't put your photo. Don't get crazy with your formatting. Um, it's okay to be creative, but make it so it flows, you know, I think is a big one. Some people I've seen like just jumble it all up, like work history's here, education's up here, this is down here. And I'm like, I don't know where I'm supposed to read. I think another one is if you're going to put a heading, make the heading noticeable. Feel free to put it in color um, or something like that. It's okay to add color to your resume. Just again, don't go all crazy with it, but color jumps out. I, I'm okay with that. It catches my eye. I will look a, a little bit longer. Again, the simple is better. Don't get all nuts with the font. Um, I've got some people that have like four different fonts on their resume. I'm like, it's okay. Just to use bold and italics in the same font. Um, you don't have to use four different fonts on your resume because it's hard for me to make that transition and see what's what simplify it a little bit. Uh, so that from a resume perspective, that's probably one of the bigger things is it's okay to get creative. Just keep it within reason and then highlight highlight things. Nine times out of 10, anything that you're doing, accounting and finance, different roles, numbers, things that aren't just words jump out, you know, or don't be afraid to use bold, underline, you know, italics, like make it, if you want somebody to see something on your resume, make their eyes go to it, use a different color, you know, things like that, highlight those things where you want people's eyes to go to on your resume, um, because they will see that. And, you know, lastly is hit those keywords, you know, again, even if at the bottom of the resume in a footer, you're just hitting a bunch of hashtags just so you can get them in there. Hashtag the footer, you know, just so you know, your resume is going to be seen. You know, those are some of the big things with the resumes, you know, and what I like to tell people is don't just rely on your resume. You know, nowadays with social media and company directories, send an email. You know, nine times out of 10, you can usually reverse engineer somebody's email address or find them on LinkedIn, especially in recruiting, you know, finding them on LinkedIn and send them a message be like, hey, I submitted my resume. I, you know, here are some high points, put two or three bullets in there as to why you're a good fit for the position. I really look forward to speaking with you about that. That way there, again, if the system doesn't push your resume forward, you know, you just reminded them, oh, I need to keep an eye out for this. 
do not be afraid to take the initiative with recruiters, whether it's corporate, whether it's agencies, take the initiative, you know, and reach out to them directly. Because again, like you said, 100 resumes a day, I might not, you know, or I might be like, yeah, you're a maybe. I'm going to keep going through and I might forget to come back to you as a maybe for two, three, four days. But if you shoot me a message, again, shows initiative, shows that you're invested in the position that you're applying for. It's okay. Um, and lastly, and I, I've, I gave this to a friend recently, if you can figure out who the hiring manager is for that department with the company, it's okay to send them a LinkedIn request to connect. Sometimes it can get you in trouble if you send them your resume. Like they're like, man, I don't, I don't have time for this. But sending them a LinkedIn request with a note that says, I recently applied for a position with the company. I hope to hear back from you. Little things like that can sometimes set you apart from everybody else. But don't be afraid to do it. So many people are like, well, I can't. I'm not supposed to do that. I have to work through a recruiter. Stop. Don't get me wrong. As a corporate person now, it drives me nuts sometimes. Um, but most of the time when it's a candidate, it doesn't. You know, when agencies reach out to my hiring managers, different story because we're paying a fee. But right. And it, it does it does not bother me at all. You know, to me, it shows that initiative, you know, and a lot of times they just get tossed back to me anyway. But the, you're now on that hiring manager's radar um, and they're like, hey, you know what? Most of my hiring managers are like, yeah, it shows initiative, it shows that they're invested in our company and wanting to work here. Very rarely do I have a hiring manager be like, oh, you better tell that person to stop. You know, it's okay. You know, let's get over that. It's not, it's not taboo any longer to do that. You know, it's okay. It shows that you've done your research. Are there any pet peeves or are there are things that candidates do that just you wish they would not do? The one of the biggest ones is when they apply to the same job, even though they've been rejected. And they keep reapplying mm. to the same job. And I'm like, how many times do I have to tell you no before you understand that I, I'm not going to interview you? Eventually, I'm just going to stop rejecting you as well. That's one thing that kind of gets me. Or they, they reapply the same way. I'm like, okay, if you reapplied and added a cover letter, like, hey, I know you rejected me before, but here's why I think you should give me an opportunity. Okay, but if you're just going to keep doing it over and over and over and reply, apply to the same job five different times or apply to the same job in a different location five times, you weren't a fit for the job in, you know, Baton Rouge. You're not a fit for the job in New York City. Like it's the same job that you were not a fit for. That's one of the big pet peeves I have is especially because we will send you the rejection email that says, hey, thank you for applying. We're not going to be moving forward for this role you know, stuff like that. But yet it's like, they don't want to take no for an answer. And I understand that again, if you do something different the second time as to why I should give you reconsideration. But if you just send your resume, you're just doing it over and over. All you do is get me a little frustrated. And I don't want to put you on like the do not ever talk to list uh, of things because I'm like, you're really starting to irk me a little bit. I, I don't know that I want to talk to you ever at this point. But again, you know, we'll usually tell you, if, hey, we'll keep your resume on file. Uh, just because it's a no now doesn't mean it'll be no for another position. Um, so let, we'll reach out to you and we have a system to do that. We let candidates know that. So when they keep reapplying, it kind of gets a little frustrating. And then again, some of those resume 
issues that we have um, where they think that it's a art school application. And I'm like, you're not, not the case right now. Like just simpler is better in a lot of cases. You know, the resume is your, your way to get me to call you. Um, it's not your interview. Let your personality really come through on your interview is, is what I'm looking for. What sort of advice would you share with somebody who is looking for their next opportunity? Uh, any last minute tips or encouragement you can give? You know, a big thing for me, and again, I think it depends on what type of position you're applying for, but don't be afraid to take that chance on some jobs, you know, where they may say, well, we're looking for a bachelor's with five years of experience and this, this, and this, and this, and this. Maybe you don't check all the boxes, but you have the it factor. You know, you have an up, outgoing and upbeat personality and you have some of those intangibles that can translate or translatable experience. Just because you haven't checked this box that you have five years of experience, do you have experience that is translatable? And if so, go ahead and put your hat and, you know, your name in the hat. You know, it's okay, you know, to, I mean, what's the worst they're going to do? Tell you no. It's hard to find candidates nowadays who check every box. And we went through that when I started here was revising our job descriptions. So there's the nice to haves and there's the must haves, you know, and we now only post our jobs with the must haves. You know, you have to have these three things. Okay. You know what? You check those boxes. You know, the nice to haves, we can interview for the nice to haves and hiring managers will sometimes overlook the nice to haves if you have potential. So just know that you don't have to check every box to apply for a job. They, a lot of companies now will be flexible in what they're willing to consider and who they're willing to consider for a job. And a lot of that is based on long-term potential, not necessarily, hey, do you check out all the short-term boxes? think you'd be surprised at how many companies will give you a chance um, and give you the ability to at least interview, knowing that you check most of the boxes. And let's see if you have all the other intangibles that we're looking for, because you can teach a lot of things. You know, that's one of the things we talk about all the time internally here is what can we teach and what can't we teach? And skills are teachable. Personality isn't teachable. Um, teachability isn't teachable. You know, those are the intangibles that you can bring with you. We can teach you everything else. So don't focus on that. Focus on why you would be a good fit for that company and interview for that. You know, I think that's a big thing I would tell people. We appreciate our featured guest for joining the Find Your Niche podcast. Now, more career advice and stories from your host, Laurie Cole. We all know how important it is to be active on LinkedIn and engage with your community, but sometimes coming up with the right things to say or the right comments for someone else's post can be a challenge. If you've ever found yourself struggling to find interesting ideas to deepen your connection with your LinkedIn community, then I have a new AI tool for you. This is something I found in one of my many, many AI newsletters, and it's called Engage AI, and it's available as a free Chrome extension. Engage AI is designed specifically for LinkedIn users like us. Once you install the extension, 
All you need to do is either click inside the comment box on a LinkedIn post, or you can actually copy the link for the post and paste it into the Engage AI box, and then it will generate a comment. And you can generate comments in various tones, like friendly or funny or engaging. And this really saves you a lot of time and energy by helping you come up with some unique and valuable comments to share with the community. Imagine all of the possibilities. Now you can join discussions, share your insights, and become more involved with your LinkedIn community. No more staring at a blank comment box unsure of what to say. Speaking of LinkedIn, we should totally connect. You can also find me on the iHire social pages of YouTube, Facebook, and TikTok. That's all for today's episode. We hope you find this tool as exciting and useful as I have. Join us next time and I will have some more insightful discussions and valuable resources to help you thrive in your career and find your niche. Is there something you need some guidance on in terms of your career? Email to laurie.cole at ihire.com. Thanks for listening.